before you this morning, Lord, and we just want to say thank you, God, for this Lord's Day, that we can come and we can gather, Lord God, around your word, Father, worshiping the one who gave it all for us. And so, Father, I want to thank you that, Lord, that even as I have taken to the stage, God, that you've been speaking and you've been ministering to us, Lord. And, Father, that there's been confirmations as to what's coming up, Lord, uh, the preparation that's been going on in the behind the scenes, Father, that it is for a time and a place such as today. So, Father, thank you for your many encouragements. And I pray now, God, that you will just open up our hearts, Lord, to receive all that you have for us. I pray your anointing to be upon my mouth, Lord God. May the the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable to you this day. Father, we pray that you will be glorified. Because, Lord, at the end of the day, it is your church, it is your people, your word, your spirit, and it is all for you. So, Father, be glorified this day, we pray in Jesus' name. And the people said, Amen and Amen. So good. Thank you, Dean and Maxine, for leading us in that worship slot there. It was so good, just the presence. We, can, we don't even need to do anything else, just to rest in his presence. And that's what this morning is going to be all about. Praise God. Now... In a world which seems to be so polarized in one way or the other, I believe that it is key for each one of us just to check in with ourselves and to ask the question of, where am I at and who am I becoming? Because we're living in a world where one thinks that he's right while the other thinks that she's right. And then we have those poor souls who were stuck in the middle not knowing which way to turn. It kind of reminds me of that famous song where the chorus says, clowns to the left of me, jokers to my right, and here I am stuck in the middle with you. Remember that? Classic. But you get the point. The world, it is being pulled apart in a number of different directions. And if you pick the wrong side, watch out because you could just end up getting cut or canceled due to the culture wars that are raging right about now. And sadly, this polarization has infiltrated the church. Take, for example, the pandemic. I mean, we had the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers, masks and anti-masks. And whilst in the pandemic it brought out the best in some people, at the same time it brought out the worst in others. As there was a, It was a time of shaking. And it exposed some of our deepest fears, along with our most prized idols, the things that we cling on to when the light begins to fade. But we thank God that he has brought us through to a time and a season such as this. Amen? And so, as we continue to rebuild in this new season, Let us not just move on to the next item on the agenda, as it were, and go back to being as business as usual. No. But let us continually ask the question of, who am I becoming? Or to put it another way, am I becoming more Christ-like day by day and year on year? Because if we're not, 
then we may need to relook at that and review that because ultimately that's the goal of following Jesus. Is it not? Now, this message has been on my heart for a while now. I preached it at my last church, but I believe that it is a message for us here also. In fact, it is a message that is very close and dear to my heart. And so, having said that, I've entitled it as simply, Being With and Becoming More Like Jesus. Amen? Now, this morning, you're going to need your Bibles because we're going to be looking at a number of uh, different passages this morning. And so if you have your Bibles with you, then please open them up and come with me to the Gospel of Mark. And if you don't have a Bible, not to worry, it will be on the screen behind me as well, hopefully. Praise God. Mark 1.16 onwards, and it reads, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jump over to Mark chapter 2 and verse 13. And it says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Mark 3.13. And he went up on the mountains and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boanages, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew, Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Final scripture, Mark 8 and verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, Did you catch the pattern? 
That is, that the call of Christ is never put your hand up in a church meeting and pray a prayer and one day you will get to heaven. No, that's just the beginning. Because the call is to follow Christ and to follow him continually. Follow me, says Jesus. And it's not in the sense of following Jesus on Instagram where we are tracking him from afar, where we are liking his pictures and sharing his posts. No, it is not that kind of following. But rather, it's the kind of following where in the process we are becoming more and more like him. Amen. Now, what does that even look like, I hear you ask. And I'm so glad you have. Because I have gleaned some wonderful insights from various theologians like Ray Vanderlaan, John Mark Comer, and many others. And it is so deep and insightful. And I pray that you guys are blessed this morning. Amen. Are you ready to be blessed? Now, Jesus was and is many things. As in, he is both Christ and Lord. He is Messiah and even God. However, if you were a Jew living in the first century in Israel, and if Jesus rocked up at your local synagogue and began to preach, then you would see him as a rabbi, which essentially means a teacher. And if this rabbi called you to follow him, then you would become a follower or a disciple of his. Now, the word disciple in the Greek is the term mathetes, which essentially means a pupil or a student. But I love the Hebrew word for disciple because it's the term talmudim, which is better translated as an apprentice, or a young Padawan, if you're into your Star Wars. Now, according to the Jewish educational system around the first century, we are told that there were three levels or phases of schooling. In that, we had Bet Sefer, which basically means the house of the book. It was essentially primary school where young ones would go to learn basic um, maths to read and write and just to do their mathematics. In addition to this, they would learn the Torah and memorize most, if not all all of it, by the age of 12. Amen. Can you imagine committing the first five books of the Bible to memory by the age of 12? That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to memory by the age of 12? I mean, we have a hard time uh, going through the order and memorizing the order of these books, let alone its content and its meaning, right? But once a child had learned and memorized these books, then most children at this point would be done. That if you were a girl, 
then you would be married and, by, and have children by the age of 13 to 14. And if you were a boy, then you would apprentice under your father in the family business. However, if you excelled in Betsafir, then you would move on to the second level of education called Bet Talmud, which means the house of learning. And this was a school for men, and for men only, who would go into the education and they would study under a local rabbi from the community. And at this point, They would study the Midrash and the Talmud. In other words, rabbinic thought and commentary on the Scriptures. And in addition to this, they would also memorize most, if not all, the entire Tanakh, or if you prefer, the entire Old Testament Scriptures. Pretty impressive, right? And then at this point, pretty much everyone was done in their studies, you'll be pleased to know. Unless, of course, you were one of the best of the best of the best. Or if you were a glutton for punishment. As these guys would then enroll to become a Talmudim under a rabbi. And this would be the third level of education. However, it wasn't as straightforward as that. Because in order to become a Talmudim, they would need to find themselves a quality rabbi to apprentice under. It's kind of like wanting to study under a top-class professor from, say, Oxford or Cambridge University or some other prestigious learning community. I mean, it's tough to get into those places, right? But let's just say for argument's sake that you made the cut, as it were, and you were accepted. The next stage would be that you would be interviewed by your desired professor, or in this case, your desired rabbi, and the rabbi would absolutely go to town on you and grill you on how well you knew the Torah and the Mishnah. And then, and only then, If the rabbi thought that you had the ability, the drive, and the motivation to someday become a notable rabbi one day, then he would extend his offer towards you by uttering the words, follow me. Sound familiar? Now, when we look at the calling of the disciples, we note a couple of things. That firstly, they weren't exactly Oxford or Cambridge material. But rather, they came from different backgrounds. Some were fishermen, others were tax collectors, and others zealots. I mean, they were poles apart socially and economically speaking, and yet they were called to bat for the same team as it were. Secondly, The disciples never pursued a rabbi, but our rabbi pursued them, just as he pursues us today and says, follow me. Amen. And as a Talmudim follows his rabbi, John Mark tells us that the Talmudim would have three objectives, and they are 
to firstly be with their rabbi, to become like their rabbi, and then finally to do as their rabbi does. And let's break this down a little. So firstly, a disciple would have to be with their rabbi. And that meant to follow him around wherever he went and just to be in close proximity to him all day, every day. To eat, sleep, and to be near him 24-7 around the clock. In fact, there was a, a famous Hebrew blessing recorded around the first century which went along the lines of, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may the dust of this rabbi fall on you as you learn from him. And this was considered to be a great honor and that many desired. The second goal of being a disciple was to become like your rabbi. Studying their words, their works and deeds, as well as their ways, their tone and mannerism. To essentially become a carbon copy of your teacher. It's like that line that we read in Mark 1.17. Where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we read this line. And we think that Jesus is, being, is cleverly applying a fishing metaphor to a whole bunch of fishermen so that they can understand it. But interestingly, the phrase fisher of men, it was a well-known Hebrew idiom that meant for a great teacher who was able to capture the hearts and the imaginations of his hearers. And so what Jesus is saying is follow me, and like me, you also will be able to captivate the hearts and the minds of humanity. Praise God. What a high and holy calling. The final goal of being an apprentice under Jesus was to do as your rabbi does. And in the case of following Christ, it is to preach the good news, to cast out devils, to heal the sick, and to raise the dead, because that's what our Lord did whilst he was here on the earth, and now he charges us and calls us to do the same. Now you may say, but Rana, that's all good and well. But how? How are we to do the things of Jesus? And that's a great question. And I believe that if we really want to do the things of Jesus, then we really need and we really ought to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You see, when we look at the life of our Lord, we see that he spent his, his time in either one of two places. As in, he was either in the Eremos, which can be translated as the quiet or the lonely or the solitary place with his Lord, or he was in the place of ministry doing the stuff 
of ministry, preaching the good news, casting out devils, and raising the dead. And so, if we want to be like our Lord, then it is imperative that we also spend some time in the quiet place with him and to simply be with him. In fact, if there is anything that I want you to go home with today, any takeaways would be this, to simply be with Jesus. And the truth is, he wants to be with you. He longs to be with you in that quiet place where we are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91. And if you don't believe me, then come to John chapter 15. And let's hear the words of the Master himself. Verse 4 onwards, it reads, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Praise God. And so, the key to all fruitfulness, love, and power is found through the means of this word, abide. In fact, John loves this word so much that he not only uses it here multiple times in his gospel, but he also uses it in his epistle. And so I really believe that John is trying to tell us something about this word, don't you? Now, this word abide in the Greek is the term meno, and it can be translated as remain or continue, endure or dwell. It is all of those things. Now, earlier in the year, a few of us were at the Elam Conference, and we had a wonderful time, didn't we? In fact, one of my great and the favorite speakers of the conference was a guy called Rich Velodis. And I loved how he unpacked this term abide through that popular British pastime that we call drinking tea. Now, how many tea drinkers do we have in the house this morning? There's a few. And how many coffee drinkers do we have in the house? Yep, there's my people. Actually, I drink both, but nothing beats a good cup of coffee. Am I right, my fellow coffee drinkers? There you go. Praise God. Amen, brother. (laughs) Anyhow, Rich being an American, 
he explained that he noticed that there were two types of tea maker slash drinker. As in, there is the dipper. And the dippers are the guys who, after pouring out their hot water into a cup, they dip their tea bag in and out a few times and simply discard. Any dippers this morning? The dipper there. David, what's going on? In contrast, he discovered that there is another type of tea maker slash drinker known as the dwellers. And these are the guys who, once they pour out their water, they leave their tea bag in for maximum brewing results. In fact, they don't even take their tea bag out until after the drink has gone. Anyone know someone like that or is like that? Yep, a few hands going up there. And what Rich noticed, as I'm sure that we all have, is that the longer a tea bag remains in the cup, the stronger it becomes. And the same is true of us. In that the longer that we menno, that we abide, and we dwell in the presence of Jesus, the more stronger and the more Christ-like we become. Amen. Now, how exactly are we to abide? Well, we abide through the means of the spiritual disciplines or practices, if you prefer. Namely, the Word, prayer and fasting, silence and solitude and Sabbath. That as we menow and delight in the Lord, the more we become like Him. Amen. I think I need a table just down here. I keep turning my back to you guys. You see, I love my Sabbath day off. It's the best day of the week for me. Because I get to slow down and spend some just unhurried time in the presence of my Savior. And as I do, I find my soul being restored and refreshed. And one of the ways in which I enter into the presence of God is through an ancient practice called Lectio Divina, which essentially means divine reading. It's where we just sit with the Lord and we just meditate upon his word to simply be with him and listen out for that still, small voice to speak. Now, some have described this practice as a four-rung ladder to heaven because there are four steps involved. And in the Latin, they are lectio, meditatio, Oratio and contemplatio. Translated into the English, lectio essentially means, as I've just mentioned, is reading. It's where we simply slow down and attentively and repeatedly read a short passage of Scripture. And then once we have read it, we then move on to meditatio which is where we meditate upon the Scriptures in order to understand it and apply it to our lives. The third rung on the ladder is oratio, which means prayer. 
It's where we simply just wait on God and we just, just wait and we pray what God has already revealed to us that we may understand it even more. And then finally, there is contemplatia, which as I'm sure you've already guessed is the contemplative part. It's where we allow the Holy Spirit to draw us in ever deeper into the truth of his word. You see, it's through this practice that our spiritual formation or sanctification, as the ancients used to call it, is cultivated and is taking place. It's where we begin to take on the characteristics of our Lord and we begin to be formed and fashioned more into his image, which after all is the sum total of our faith, is it not? You see, the concept of spiritual formation isn't unique to Christianity because the truth is we are all being formed and fashioned in one way or the other. The truth is into what and into who are we becoming? Because the things that we watch or the stuff that we read or the things that we scroll through on social media, all of it is having an effect on our formation. And we are either being formed into something good and wholesome and we are becoming more and more like our Lord or we are becoming more deformed by drinking from the stagnant pools of water, metaphorically speaking. Because we are all being fashioned and formed by the things that we consume. It's like this. I used to love watching kung fu films as a child. And Bruce Lee was one of my heroes. I mean, who doesn't, doesn't want to be able to do a, a roundhouse or a flying dropkick like Bruce Lee, right? He was the man back in the day. And after watching his films, my cousins and I would begin to mimic his moves. And the cereal box would get him. And we would get into a whole lot of trouble because the cereal would just go everywhere. But we wanted to be like Bruce Lee. My point is that we are all being formed. The question is, into what and by whom? Fast forward 10 to 15 years from now and ask yourselves the question, are you on track to becoming more and more like Jesus in the future Or is your current trajectory leading you away from and off course? Because if it's the latter, then you may need to reroute that journey like a sat-nav and realign yourselves under God. You see, when I look 10 to 15 years down the line, I have no desire of becoming anything other than more like my Lord. Because there is no other person, past or present, who can hold a candle to him. Because he stands head and shoulders above every other ideology and philosophy or historical character. And so why would I want to settle for anything less? True. Because in the words of Dr. Lockridge, 
He is the greatest phenomena that has ever crossed the horizon. He is God's Son, a sinner's Savior. He is unparalleled, and He is unprecedented. That's my King. I wonder, do you know Him today? Amen. Amen. And so, in a world that is highly anxious and deeply polarized, Let us become a non-anxious and a calm presence like Jesus. Because the world needs this so desperately right about now. And the way in which that we become as such is through the practice of simply being with him and abiding in him. There are no shortcuts to our spiritual formation. It's like children spell love, T-I-M-E. It's being in that place and spending that time with him. Amen. Now, Mother Teresa in the late 1980s was interviewed on television. And the journalist asked her, When you pray to God, what do you say? And she said, I don't say anything. I just listen. And he said, wow, what does God say to you? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And at this point, the interviewer is just confused. But then she goes on to say, if you can't understand that, and I'm sorry, but I can't explain it to you. You see... In times of abiding, there doesn't always have to be this exchange of words. But just as the video clip said a little while ago, it's an opportunity for us to simply be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, 10. Amen. You see, we often miss his presence Because we are operating at such a frenetic pace where it's just go, go, go. And we just fill our lives with a whole bunch of activity. But as we still our hearts and sit in silence before him, what we are doing essentially is making time for him, making room and space for Almighty God, the King of the universe, to come and meet with us and to speak with us. And he wants to do that, church. He really does. You don't, if you could only understand the love that he has towards you, it is profuse. It's not a love which is like butterflies in the stomach, you know, when you're first dating whoever, you know, that you feel that kind of excitement. It's the honeymoon phase. No. It is so much more than that. His love is profuse because he has commanded his love towards us. And his love, it never wavers. It never goes up and down. But he is constant. It really is. And he longs to be with us in that quiet place where he wants to minister to us. He wants to break his word. In fact, I don't even believe that they wanted to be, that God wanted there to be a word in the first place. He wanted to commune with us as in the Garden of Eden, where God walked with Adam in the cool of the day, uh, uh, something that he was accustomed to every day, just knowing the presence of God. 
And God wants to do that with us today. That we can still have this relationship with him, which is just mind-blowing. So let us not neglect that. But let us enter in to that secret place. Let us be with him. And so I want to encourage you with that. Just to do that and make that your plan over the next course, over the course of the next few days. That's your homework assignment. To practice the presence of Jesus, as Brother Lawrence once put it, and to make it a habit. Just to sit with the Lord, with no petition, no request, but to simply quieten your soul before him. To make yourself available and to simply abide and be with him. Because as you do, not only will that place become holy ground, but as we spend time in the presence of the Holy One, we will become more like him because ultimately we become that which we behold. And praise God that each day that we behold more and more of him, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That you track your Christian walk back through the ages and you will see that you are no longer that person anymore, but there has been change, right? And we're not quite there as yet. I know I certainly aren't. But each day we are being transformed and conformed and formed into more and more of Jesus. And it's great. It is glorious. And so I want to encourage you just to, just to slow things down. You're doing your Bible reading plans. But just to spend an extra 10 minutes or so and just to sit in silence. Perhaps have a cup of coffee. And... Maybe not even have, any, have any, an exchange of any words, but just to sit with God while you drink your coffee and just say, Jesus, here I am. In the words of Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And listen out. Allow that time, make that time for him to come and to minister directly to you by his spirit. Shall we pray? I just want to wait on the Spirit right now. I'm conscious that is, you know, there are times when we come to church and we're just frazzled because of our week and then we get here and it's just quick, let's get to the next thing, the next thing. And sometimes it's so heavily pro- programmed in order that we squeeze God out. So I just want us to make room for God just to come and speak with one another. We're going to wait on the Lord. And if you feel comfortable to do so, just open your hands before him with your palms facing upwards in a posture of receiving. Come, Holy Spirit.